Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're joined by guest Jason Resnick. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Excellent. So I've known Jason, we've both known Jason for years, sort of on and off in the same circles and slack rooms and that sort of thing. And he is a marketing automation expert, founder of NurtureKit, and a recovering web developer, just like me. <laughs> <laughs> so Jason, can you tell folks a little bit a, a little bit more about your background? Sure. Uh, so I've been in web development in all shapes and sizes since the late 90s, uh, before the Amazons, before the Facebooks, and so on and so forth. But I always flocked towards e-commerce. For me, I had a minor in psychology. Human behavior was always kind of like interesting to me, um, but a very technical, very analytical, math, numbers, I'm a data geek, that sort of thing. So development in the e-commerce space was kind of like a good marriage between all of that, mm -hmm. because a lot of the things that I solved, especially in the late 90s, was like even just challenges of having somebody trust the website enough to put a credit card into it, right? Um, and that that was what I learned uh, uh, online was more that, hey, there are humans that are interacting with the ones and the zeros that are, are actually making things happen on the web. Um, and I went through my career working in Fortune 100 companies, small boutique agencies, um, and in 2010, I decided that that was enough for me and I'm going to build my own business. Um, it was something that was always on my mind, even as a teenager, that I probably wasn't a good fit for sitting at somebody else's desk. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> that was the right time for me. Um, I very, I was very much a generalist, as uh, Jonathan knows all too well, as far as what that involves with web development. But for me, it was about two years in when I started to specialize. Um, the first special, the first pivot point for me was really just honing in on WooCommerce. Um, that was kind of like a luck of the draw for me. I mean, I, it was somewhat luck and somewhat educational, meaning my clients wanted a website that they can manage themselves, but weren't in it every day. So WordPress lended itself to that where I didn't have to teach them every time they decided to log into their website and WooCommerce because, well, that's the e-commerce component. I was lucky enough to that automatic, which was the founding company uh, of WordPress decided to acquire WooCommerce and pretty much squashed everybody else. So that was luck in, in my, my timeline there. But over time, I started to see this evolution of e-commerce and uh, I really went more towards email marketing, uh, a lot of automation to it um, and a lot of disconnects where they didn't need to be. Um, and a simple case example is a cart abandonment campaign. Now we take these things for granted when we add something to our cart, we're going to get an email follow up with whatever product it was that was in there. However, back six, seven, eight years ago, that wasn't best practices anymore. That wasn't even a de facto like it is today. And so people would just kind of wing it. Like say, hey, I think you might have saved this thing <laughs> for later. Um, even if you bought it, you'd still get that email. And so I was, as I mentioned, a developer. Drip had a great API that was able to tie a lot of these things together um, between email and your website. And I coded up a lot of these things, a lot of automations, um, a lot of behavioral driven marketing. Um, based off of clicks, based off of what they were seeing on their website, based off of what they were reading in emails, and really just making your experience as a consumer of a website um, that much better and more like a mom and pop shop kind of feel. So, oh, right. That's interesting. More of a personalized experience based on, you know, where they're air quotes browsing around the store. Exactly right. Like, and so, I mean, case in point, I was telling my wife the other day, you know, I have two young boys, um, four and one. And every time we log into Disney plus, I get an email and it's like, we have family movie night on Friday nights. Um, but it's like every Friday night or Saturday morning, I see a Disney plus email and I'm like, this is like, and it's just a general email. 
and I'm always saying like, it would be nice if they said like, how was that movie? Cause you know what I'm watching. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, w- so funny story. I used to go to a coffee place when I lived in Decatur, Georgia, that was a mom and pop coffee place. It's called Java monkey. I'm going to throw Java monkey under the bus. And there's a Starbucks, same block, but I wouldn't go to the Starbucks. I always wanted to go to the local place and I'd go in there and every, every day I went there every single day and every single day that asked me what I wanted. And I was like, I stopped going there. It was so annoying. I was like, you don't remember me from yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. I started going to Starbucks and I'd go into Starbucks and within a week they called me cinnamon chip because I, I would always buy cinnamon chip scone. And it was it I felt really I was I wanted to support the local anyway, it was just an example it just an example that came to mind of the real world where, you know, surprisingly the mom and pop didn't do what they are usually great at and a big company actually did a much better job than anyone would I would certainly I would have expected so that's a great example of of it done poorly yeah i mean it's just a matter of paying attention really and just being mindful of your customers and non-customers and repeat customers and so on and so forth and then just giving them the better experience right because they're they're at a certain stage and so why not cater to that stage? Yeah. And framing, and I like your framing of it where it's a service to them that's customized. It's not you spamming them until they finally come back and maybe buy or unsubscribe. Right. That, that, those days of email marketing where you just keep obliterating their inbox is long gone. You'll lose people real fast. Like, like Java monkey, right? Like, like, I mean, if you don't pay attention to them at all, they're gone. If you just pay attention to them in a general sense, they're gone. So you have to tailor that experience. Well, I, I can't un unthink cinnamon chip now, Jonathan, <laughs> just so you know. Hashtag cinnamon chip. That's my stripper yeah. name. Yep, yep, that's it. Well, you know, you kind of hit, Jason, on, on why I really wanted to have you on the show because you and I connected a, a few years ago over, I, I think it was when I was transitioning out of MailChimp to ConvertKit. And you were really helpful. We didn't wind up working together at the time, but I always remembered you. And then all of a sudden in my email box, I think sometime, uh, maybe it was November of last year, I started getting these emails from you and Nurture Kit. And I thought, oh my God, talk about providential. So first of all, the name, the name got me. I'm like, Nurture Kit, yes, that's the feel I want with my email. Um, but the other piece was that you immediately, I felt like you were inside my head on the things I was thinking about and wrestling with. And in that particular case, I was working on some new welcoming sequences. So, I mean, one of the things you brought up at the very beginning of, of your sequence, um, was the purpose of our email lists. And I think, some of us struggle with that, especially people building authority, because we're not necessarily selling a lot of product at the beginning. We might be selling some, but there's this idea of somehow we want to nurture our people and kind of bring them along. So can you talk about this philosophy behind email lists, especially when maybe you don't have something to sell right away, but you're hoping to build this group and you're going to build services and products for them later? Yeah. So, I mean, in business, we have some idea of what we want to offer and help people with. And whether or not you have that built or ready to uh, throw at your list, let's say, you want to start to engage them in a way that you understand them better. There's two trigger points in any purchase. One is the intent and the other is the motivation. The intent is usually something that you can see. What lead magnet did they come into? Um, what did they come, what problem did they have that, you know, when you first started engaging them in a conversation, those things are some action. They're looking to solve a problem of the moment. However, the motivation behind that is more emotional and mm-hmm. it's harder to get to. Um, it could be, you know, something like, Hey, we want to increase revenue by 30% over last year, or we want to sell the company. So we're trying to do this. That emotional um, trigger is what is actually going to 
do the buying, right? That's the one that's going to mm -hmm. make the decision. So the faster that you can understand your, your subscriber base and who your customer is, the faster you can make a sale, the faster you can help them, uh, the faster they become repeat customers and so on and so forth. And so the easiest way to do that is engaging them by asking them questions or putting resources out in front of them or just even engaging them in a way that's friendly enough where it says, hey, I'm here to help you with whatever questions you have. And hearing their responses, their challenges, their struggles along the way all starts to culminate into whatever it is that you want to offer them. Well, you know, and you did that. What I, re I remembered you were working on a webinar and you'd sent this, I assume, email to everybody saying, what, you know, what are your questions? What are the kinds of things you want to, you want to hear about and talk about? And I, I sent you a couple, but I remembered saying, you know, I think this one is really specific to this problem I'm wrestling with now. And you actually wrote back and said, oh, well, have you thought about doing this, this, and this? And they went, oh, no, I hadn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's that there, I just feel like you modeled doing that with people. And there's a, there's a generosity. We've talked a lot about the generosity of authority, but there's a generosity that I think comes across when you do it that way. Yeah, I mean, for me, like my customers specifically, especially in the ConvertKit space, right? So Drip, ConvertKit, Clavio, MailChimp, they all have their kind of customer, right? ConvertKit mm -hmm. is very creator-centric. They're not technical. Uh, you know, some of them are musicians. Some of them are bloggers. Some of them, you know, even agencies that are out there, right? And so mm -hmm. they're, they're not engineers, right? Whereas Drip... <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> like Drip, they're very engineering-focused folks most times, right? Because they usually come by way of integrating much more into that ecosystem. However, ConvertKit, they, those people should be able to get the same stuff out of their platform, <laughs> to mm -hmm. put it at a high level term, right? But so I understand that because they're not technical, there are things that I know from a technical perspective that I could help them get over a lot of hurdles that they have. I see time and time again, a lot of people launch uh, quarterly or some program on a regular basis and they set up scheduled broadcasts um, and then they just blast the entire list. They're like, oh, I don't know how to segment people. I don't know how to set up a sequence. I don't know how to set up an automation. I'm just going to set up these broadcasts and then when somebody buys, tag them and then I'll remove them from the broadcast. And they do this manual process over and over and over and over again. Well, that is, I do that as an automation and a sequence time and time again. That's what I'm doing all day long. So if I can help somebody just get minutes back in their day, that's a win for them, right? And mm -hmm. most times it's usually hours, right? Because now I say, hey, all you need to do is just apply this tag to a group of people and they'll go through the automation. The automation handles purchasing. They handle, you know, why didn't you buy campaigns, which a lot of people don't do, like through the promotion and so on and so forth, right? So I build out all of these things and allow the tech to get out of the way of their business. I'm just remembering why we met because I was, I, I was thinking I was going to use Drip and I just didn't feel like I belonged. I couldn't understand the conversation in the supportive Facebook group. And everybody said, oh, you need to talk to, to Jason. And so I, it's coming back to me now. And I know now why I'm with ConvertKit. <laughs> um, but one of the things you mentioned was segmenting. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, know, I don't know that everybody knows what that is, especially inside automation. Yeah, so segmentation um, is like, uh, I guess... Uh, hot topic, even though that I hear, I've been hearing about it for years, but segmentation is really just understanding a group of people and who they are at a level that they're all the same. And so you can think of it as like uh, demographical data. Um, you could think of it as a profession. You could think of it as what their favorite food is, right? These are a segment of people. And it's so something they have in common, right? Exactly. Right. And so when you can define the types, the segments that your email list sits in, then you can position a proper offer in front of them. So concrete example, 
Um, and I, I tell this with my clients a lot of the times is what's their experience level? Like every business has customers at varying experience levels, right? It could be in time-based thing, right? So like number of years in something, or it could be like if you're selling TVs, right? Do they have a, a media room or is it something for the bedroom? Like that's an experience level. Am I an audiophile? Am I like really into video and home theater? Or do I just want a TV, right? Like, so that's an experience level. And if you could define that, then you can put the proper offer in front of them that makes sense for them. And you can even understand where they are, right? So if I know that this person is looking for a TV in their bedroom, well, okay, they don't need a 150 inch screen, right? So I can read. Eliminate that. Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, I don't have a bedroom that big, that's for sure. Yeah, but Palm Springs is known for its really large square footage. <laughs> Not. <laughs> so, so segmentation is really, as, as Jonathan said, something that's common amongst them, but then being able to then tailor their experience according to that. And so that you're not just blasting out the same thing to everyone. It's they're saying, hey, I'm of this certain group and I'm raising my hand for when there's an offer that best fits me. So here's the question I always have about this. So some segmentation seems really obvious, like if you clicked on this or if you went through a course, um, when you have an email list that you've pulled off your website, how do you segment on things that you haven't collected data on, like the experience level? As an example, do you just do that with people who've become clients who you know offline? You can. I mean, depending on how big this list is, um, you can do the you know the eyeball check and kind of be like, oh, I know this person is, and I and, and do it that way. Or you can survey them with you know various different tools out there, SurveyMonkey, Typeform, and so on and so forth. Or even in the email platform itself. There's no reason why you can't set up that question to ask uh, in a way, and this gets a little technical, but in a way where somebody clicks on a link and that not data is stored on that subscriber record. And you could kind of, if you have like a sequence of 10 emails, let's say, you could sort of, without being annoying, sprinkle in that question amongst those 10 emails, maybe three or four times. And then once they answer it, it doesn't display again. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that idea. Cool. So here's, I, we've worked together. Let me start that over. I, I say we worked together, but actually you just did me a big favor, Jason. Um, when I was, when I was thinking about moving to ConvertKit, I've been on Drip for years and I was thinking about moving to ConvertKit and I was like, this seems like it's going to be not hard so much as like error prone. So I was like pretty nervous about it, but I was I was like enraged at Drip at, at the time, and and you sort of gave me a checklist. It was like, well, here's here's the list of things that you need to do, and it was like it was like thirty or forty things, but having the checklist was like, oh wow, okay, I can do this. This this seems manageable, and I didn't end up uh, actually doing the migration because I solved my problem in a different way. But um, so I've been, long story short. I'm familiar with the concepts of segmentation and automation and tagging people and uh, putting links in your website, uh, putting uh, JavaScript in your website to tag like which pages they've seen and stuff. And even though I have a technical background, I've found it to be, mm, I don't want to say not, well, yeah, not worth it because a couple of things happen and I'm setting you up to like, tell me I'm just lazy or something, but that's <laughs> totally fine. You, then you might be surprised at the answer. <laughs> so a couple of things happen whenever I try to get fancy like that. Cause it's not, and it's not a technical problem. I know how to get fancy. That's not the problem. The problem, the problem would be things like, uh, there'll be an error in my logic and I'll send a whole bunch of subscribers into a black hole where they're just untagged and receive nothing uh, for months or I will uh, have so many tags that I can't even make sense of them where there's just like, you know, there's like, I have probably 700 pages on my website. So I end up with like, I ended up with like over, I think I had 2,500 discrete tags in drip, which is useless. It was useless for me. Um, other things are 
stuff, I don't remember why something works. Yes. So I'm like, wait a second. Uh, These people are showing up in my Slack room. So obviously the purchase automation is working, but I can't remember where it is. It's in Drip. It's partially in Drip. It's partially in Zapier. It's partially in JavaScript on my website. And it becomes almost like I need to maintain uh, like an architecture document of how my freaking system works. And so finally, one day I was just like, nope, chuck it. Because because errors, I think I think after I sent like 3,000 people into a month-long black hole, I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not helping. So what... So is it is it just me? Do do the automations get too complex? Is there a there's got to be a sweet spot between no automation and and something basic or something that's not at least not like this monolithic uh, Rube Goldberg machine that you're like ah, don't touch it it's working you know <laughs> yeah absolutely so what I always and to your point yes I I mean if you look at my drip account. And yes, I still have a drip account, but I'm most I'm all on ConvertKit at this point. Like I I don't know. I got like probably something around that tag level too, like two thousand tags or something like that. And I don't even have nearly the size website you do. <laughs> but it does. It becomes like a Rube Goldberg machine. And you're wondering like, how did I do this? It's the humans that go crazy with the automation because they start to go into these rabbit holes of oh, I could do this and I could get this data and I could see if this they click on this link and, and so on and so forth when all of that really doesn't matter, right? And so what I always try to say is, is what's your critical path? Meaning when somebody comes in, what do you want them to do, go to next? What do you want them to buy first? What do you want them to buy second? What do you want them to buy third? If you have that sort of a, a business model, right? What's that critical path? And then figure out what those conversion points are usually working backwards from the customer, right? So that person bought, why did they bought? Where did they come from? Did they come from a blog post? Did they come from a podcast? Did they come from, you know, wherever, right? A conference or something. So when you figure out what those conversion points are, that's where you start tracking things, right? You can, you can apply a tag, you can apply custom fields, and that's a whole different debate on which mm-hmm. one you want to yeah. use. Um, you do define what those conversion points are so that you do know where people are coming from, right? And so understanding that critical path is the first thing, and that's outside of the tools, right? It could be mm-hmm. a Google Doc, it could be a whiteboard, post-it notes, you know, whatever. But then then you take that path and put it into your platform of choice, ConvertKit, Drip, wherever. And you make it simple enough so that you do understand what's going on. And so what I like to do, and this is kind of like the genesis of the name nurture kit is people for the most part come through a lead magnet whatever that lead magnet is then you put them into a welcome sequence to kind of tell them about who you are and what you're all about what what they're about to get right why are they on the list and how often you get to send it to them and, and the benefits of that then you can put them into a sequence or most people i would say more than half just start to blast them out every week and say hey i have a, the latest blog post or whatever but that daily blast, if you, if you want to say, like the daily broadcasts or newsletters that you have, have a single purpose. And that's to offshoot people into your, your next step. Meaning, so I always call it like the tell me more campaign. And it's just tracking a number of clicks that goes to either a sales page or, or a page on your website that that conversion point exists at. And if they click on that three times in 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, then they get pulled out of your broadcasts and put into a tell me more campaign because your sales page isn't converting them. So they may just need some objection answered, some questions they may have, something of that nature. And then they go through a pitch and then they come back later, right? Back into your broadcasts if and when they buy or don't buy, whatever the business logic is there, right? So the simplicity of, look, I'm sending a newsletter, a weekly newsletter, and I would just, how do I make more sales? Well, integrate these clicks to certain products or services 
in a way where it makes sense to them to say, hey, look, yeah, I know I've clicked on this a couple of times in the past month. Um, it's no wonder why he's sending me this email. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and what's funny is, especially with last year, and I don't know whether it's because, I mean, email in 2020 changed drastically. Like it always used to be like, hey, Tuesday morning was the day that I'm sending emails out. Well, now it could be Thursday night. And it just because people are home and whatnot, there's just varying different things now. And so what I tweaked the nurture kit, the, basically the, the nurture campaigns that I, I send out, these tell me more campaigns, nurture campaigns, I call them, because really what you're doing is leaning into their intention on buying something and just under, trying to understand why they didn't buy, because they've shown that interest. And I am blunt. I genuinely say, hey, my email system tells me that you've checked this out at least three times. Uh, and I want to make sure that I'm answering any of your questions. And here's some testimonials of people, or here's why people buy this thing, or something that goes a little bit more in depth into what it is they're checking out, but you haven't yet bought. And, and you're so, doing all that in an automated way? Yes. And and really all it is 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 you're doing the same thing anyway. You're going to send out that weekly email and talking about whatever it is that you're talking about, the, the latest thing in, in your world. But then you say, hey, um, <clears throat> in my case, let's just say the Book-A-Day service. Um, I mentioned the Book-A-Day service and somebody clicks on that. Then in my email automation in ConvertKit, I just tally on that person. I just say, okay, they clicked once, right? And then I, I basically set the clock. And over 30 days, if they click on that link three times, then that shows interest. And I've already pre-written a pitch sequence. Once they hit that third time, then they get spawned off into that pitch sequence. And I don't even have to do anything. I'm not launching anything, right? And so it's this natural just occurrence that the subscriber goes through because they know they've checked this out. Um, I know they've checked it out. So let's just have a conversation. And you could book a call with me. I have a free 20-minute call. We can talk about it and so on and so forth. It just kind of moves them along the journey because their intention, I know their intention is to buy this thing. I just don't know enough about the emotional side maybe to get them over the hurdle. Hmm. Okay, so here's a, here's a real-world story because I want to also make this make it clear that this is a service and it's not you spamming them or not you right. trying to coerce them or anything. So around Christmas, I had to go, I've barely left my house five times in 2020, but, right. um, but my wife wanted uh, plywood cut out Christmas trees in the front yard. So by golly, I was going to go get a jigsaw because we didn't have, <laughs> I have like no tools. So I'm not a handy guy. So I, I go to the Home Depot and I'm, I probably wandered around the power tool section for 30 minutes. I'm going back and forth and looking at blades and I didn't know, I couldn't make heads or tails of half of it. I like it didn't know what was going on. And I was actually ticked off that no one and there were people around. There were there were people walking past me. I was a little bit embarrassed to try and flag someone down, you know, like fifty something year old dude that doesn't know how to buy a saw. And <laughs> you know right. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to go chase somebody down and drag him back over there and be like, look, I'm trying to buy but, you know, first of all, I'm not even sure I need a jigsaw. I need to cut plywood. Is this going to I need to get Christmas trees that look like this. Like, is yeah, 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 you definitely want a jigsaw. And then he tries to walk away. I'm like, well, which, which one? Like, what would you recommend? Like, you're a handy guy, I can tell just by looking at you. And, you know, profiling. So, you know, and, and I had to like, I did not want to leave there without a jigsaw. But I could have. And... You know, just to finish the story, he he sort of pointed me in the right direction. Here's the jigsaw. I'm like, does this have blades in it? And he's like, I don't know. So he's reading the box. He's like, no, I don't think so. So which blades do I need? The blades are over there. Which one do I need? There's like a, there's like literally a hundred blades over there. I go over there. And he's like, uh, this one. He gives me the blades. I come home. Wrong blades. Jeez. <laughs> he gave me, I'm like, man, this is taking forever to cut. I like I like put my reading glasses on and look at. Yeah, the blades are teeny, and it's like, oh, it's for sheet metal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no wonder it's not working on this three-quarter inch plywood but anyway so i wanted i wanted to tell that story to tie it back to that's a ex, what jason is describing here 
is the experience I wanted in the Home Depot. I wanted someone to come over and be like, I noticed you've been standing over here for half an hour scratching your head. Uh, you know, I'm an expert at this stuff. If, you know, I'm here as a resource to you. You know, like, can I help you? What are you looking for? I'm, I'm not hanging out in the Home Depot for fun. And no one is clicking through to your webpage for fun three times in 30 days. They're not doing it because they're bored. They're thinking something. And they don't want to leave with nothing. They, I mean, they might choose not to buy for, for a reason, but you don't want that reason to be that they're confused. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's the thing that I always, I, I always say, like, look, people on your email list, they don't need another friend. They're there to solve a problem. So give them the solution to the problem that they're there to solve. And so, yeah, to your point, I mean, that's where that, you know, behavioral marketing comes into play. Right. And whether they click something on your website or they've clicked on a couple of links in the email, you know that data. And it's just a matter of tying that information back. It's the, you know, it's the more advanced way of upselling. It's also a really good way to scale your time because mm -hmm. you could, a lot of people, you see websites where it's like, you know, they've got some service for sale and it's like their main call to action on the page is book a free 15 minute call or talk to a designer or whatever. And that's sort of a blunt instrument. You know, you could end up having a lot of uh, a lot of tire kickery calls where the intent really hasn't been defined, and they just you know they didn't they were didn't feel like reading the page. So let's just you know jump on a fifteen minute call. So what's this thing? You know, um, you know if you're a solo operator like me, you I would not have time to do anything. I wouldn't be able to like take a shower. You know, if if everybody if I had a link like that on my website, but I would like to talk to people who are really thinking about something. So like they're really in a jam. They've, they've done the research, they've done their homework, they've re read a bunch of emails, they've read a bunch of pages on the site, and they're still stuck. I'm happy to jump on a 15-minute call with that person because they're wrestling with something. And I'm, it's, not to, it's not to sell them. I mean, if they want to buy something, great, but I'm not going to suggest they buy something that's not going to solve their problem. So, you know, but if they do have a problem and I know that the thing they're looking at is a solution to it, uh, then I, I do want to jump on the phone with that person, you know, because obviously, yes, I get a potentially get a sale out of it, but it's helping them. Like, that's the point is it's helpful to them to help them to get them to move forward finally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when people are on my email list and I, I, I have two segments that I send one segment I send six times a week and one segment I send five and the, that's the, weird why why six and five well <laughs> the the six is uh I help uh developers and designers much like you Jonathan mm -hmm. to create uh recurring revenue mm -hmm. or build predictable income um and they're okay with getting the emails on Saturday <laughs> I see <laughs> whereas <laughs> the nurture kit side the I mean, I tried, I did start it at the end of October last year to switch it to uh, six days a week, but I noticed that people weren't opening as much on Friday. So, I mean, on Saturday. So I just decided, okay, I can eliminate that day and put that email on Monday. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. That's funny. Um, so, but the, the, the objective of that daily email, let's just call it that, is for the services side of things is to get people to book that 20 minute call with me because I do know that that 20 minute call will help um, based off of what I've built into my sales pipeline is that conversation allows me to know whether it could be a retainer client, whether it, or it's just passing somebody off to, uh, you know, the, an affiliate program that I'm a part of because I, while I can write emails, I don't. Right. And so um, for me, that's, as a service, Part, you mean? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my retainer clients, I do. I draft up emails and, and things of that nature, but I'm more the technical, um, you know, I'm more involved in the technical aspects there. So if I can have that conversation and that person checks, checks that 20-minute call out, but they don't actually book, then I will spawn off that pitch and say, hey, look, these are some of the things we could talk about on that call. And you'd be surprised at some of the... The responses I get, oh, I didn't know we could talk about that. That's the question that I have, and I didn't want to waste anybody's time, right? And so, yeah, totally, I get that too. And it and it's just it and it's and it's just a genuine outreach to it because I do know that, like, look, people don't say what they want to say, right? And so, <laughs> if I could call out to that, 
it invites them into that conversation. Right. Yeah. It's like in, in the home in Home Depot a guy being like coming up to me and saying, Hey, you're looking for a jigsaw, right? You know, it's instead of me feeling, you know, me in a domain that I'm completely unfamiliar with feeling like I'm going to say something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I want to go back to a big picture thing that you started talking about, Jason, which is the critical path. I feel like there is this, I know I didn't do this the way that I should have when I first started and I had to fix that, right, with my new welcome sequences. But there's something about having a visual about that critical path that I think is so helpful before anybody starts to try to program the stuff themselves or hire someone to program it. It's, it's just being able to see what you're trying to do is so much more important than people like me who get wrapped up, you know, looking at, oh, it can do this, it can do this. Well, I should have this tag. I should have that tag. Really focus on that critical path. I mean, is that usually the first place you start with your clients, Jason? Yeah, if they don't, I mean, if they come, most of them come to me with some sort of established online presence already. Um but they may not have that visualization. So I will always ask them, what's your critical path? And then they'll tell me about their products and their high, like real high end, like here's my mastermind or whatever it is. And they say, okay, that's fine. How do people come in though? Like, where do they come from? And then a lot of times they're like, well, I have 27 and a half different lead magnets. So I'm not really sure. Right. And so, okay, okay well, that's great. So then that's where I start because I want to know, like, and when they say they're not sure, and like Jonathan, you said, like, I'm not really sure where they came from. So I'm just gonna blow everything up. <laughs> and yeah. That's what a lot of clients tell me. I'm like, well, let's, let's, let's slow down on blowing things up right now. But <laughs> let, why don't we, you have a form, so we know where forms are. And let's just spreadsheet this out. How many, you know, did you have 100 people come into this form and three come from this? Or is it even or, you know, however, right? And and once you iron that out and that see that visual, like, holy cow, there's 60% of my people come through these two forms and then these 20 don't matter. Like it's just a smaller percentage. It's eye-opening for people because they're like, why am I even bothering? Because I'm promoting all of them the same, giving them all equal weight, but these two or three are the real winners. And so... Um, that's where I start with first a lot of times because that that is an eye opener and it also lends itself into understanding exactly who that customer is. Um, and if somebody comes in through one of those uh, lesser lead magnets, let's say, then you're not speaking their language. And I always like to say this as an example is that if you're selling virtual workouts, don't give recipes as your lead magnet. <laughs> so, right? It's so obvious when you say it, but I, I know people all the time that are like, oh, I've got a P I've got sawdust here that I could turn into a lead magnet. And, and there, but it has nothing to do, or it's almost like it's orthogonal to the thing they're ultimately trying right. to sell. Yeah. It's like, no, no. And, and, it, and it's amazing. I mean, I, and, and look, I'm, you know, I, I say that, but I do that same mistake. I have lead magnets that don't directly align with what I'm selling, and but it's helpful. I just don't promote them as much, right? Um, same thing with that recipe thing. Like, oh, my conversions aren't working great. Okay, well, why? Well, I have you know, hundred people coming in, you know, a week on this recipe. Okay, well, you're selling workouts though. <laughs> like, yeah. I wonder why you convert. And it's aren't a chocolate working. cake recipe, <laughs> right? So once you lay it, like take that step back, because that's the thing too, is like, you know, all of us here, we, we're building online businesses. Like we get this idea, like you said, oh, I got this thing. I could probably put that out as a lead magnet. It'll be helpful to people in there, done, right? Mm -hmm. And you're so in it, you can't see that, that visual, that just one pager of like, hey, here's the arrows that lead somebody to become a customer um, is mm -hmm. super, super helpful. Yeah, it's well, funny that, oh, go ahead. No, I just, I want to speak up for the people who are not developers and programmers in the audience, because there's something about laying this all out in, in a visual, even if it's just on a piece of paper, that is so incredibly helpful. Um, when I was working on changing up my convert kit sequences, I had kind of created a little bit of a beast. 
And so I had to, first I had to learn what I was actually doing. Like how was the programming I had already working? And then what's the critical path? And then how do I change it? And so for me, because of the way my brain is wired, I had to relearn it every single time. Like I had to set aside chunks of five hours that somebody else could probably do in an hour, right? And so it, I just want to make sure that for the for the non-technical or non-developer type brains in the audience, that the critical path will really help you to kind of visualize. And in fact, I committed mine to a document, which won't surprise Jonathan, that I, I keep nearby at all times so that I always know how it's working and I don't have to relearn it. I've got it there. I, I have a, I actually have an architecture that I use so that I don't mess myself up. And if you're starting from scratch, the beauty is you can do it right the first time. Yeah. I mean, and so this is something that I deliver is an actual deliverable to all of my clients is what I call a recap document. And it sounds short, but it's to Jonathan, your point earlier, it's that architectural document. That's a living, breathing document of what is going on inside of your ConvertKit or Drip account. And it gives the inputs, it gives the outputs, it talks about the sequences, it talks about, hey, this person came in through this lead magnet, this is what they go to next, and so on and so forth. And it lays all of that out so that now, because I have my retainer clients, but I at this in the spring of last year, I, I built out a day rate service or a day intensive um, where I just basically blitz into their account and build them, soup the nuts, whatever it is that they want in a day. But now they have this living, breathing document that they can read and follow through because there's going to be links in there that go directly into their account and so on and so forth. But that document, I say, hey, use this even when we're not working together. Keep track of things that you change because you're going to add products. You're going to take products away. You're going to add lead magnets. You're going to take them away. So keep this as a living, breathing document so that then you know what's going on or you could pass that off to somebody else and then they can understand what's going on. So having that, like you said, that visual, and I do flowchart a lot of this stuff out, but also the, the words on the page to know like, oh, okay, what is this automation doing? I don't know what Jason is talking about here. Like, what, what, what is he counting here? Like, I don't understand. And so in the document, it tells you what this is for. This is the tracking so that when somebody clicks their pricing page over the next 30 days, we're going to tally them up. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember him talking about that. So it's best to kind of write all of these things out in a document first and then apply them into the platform second. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, easier said than done. But that's, yes. that's I mean, I, like I do it with content, like writing sales pages and things like that. It's always just a blank Google Doc where I just write the words on the page first before I start wrestling with whatever tech that it has to fit into. So I was just helping a non-technical person set up a, you know, she had an existing WordPress site. She had a brand new Drip account. And the plan was to to you know, have a form on the homepage where someone could opt in for a lead magnet. They would get the lead magnet delivered in drip and it would, uh, you know, then roll out like a five, I think it was a five day nurture campaign after that going more deeply into the topics that were in the, in the checklist and the, the lead magnet and then move them over to like, uh, you know, onboard them into like her weekly campaign or it might actually, it's a daily, she does daily also. And, uh, it was, um, you know, having used Drip for a long time, it was extremely eye-opening how complicated it is when you're when you're in there. If you're making decisions, if you're not even sure, like at the high level, what you're trying to do, and then you're faced with like, how come the double opt-in isn't working? There's like three places to set that, and it's just totally overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I was really empathizing with her on the WordPress side because I don't use WordPress and I don't have any experience with it. And it was really hard to put the form in the page. Like WordPress tries to make it easy. Therefore, it becomes black magic and it becomes confusing. <laughs> so it was like, we're like, I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't know where, where this is. I don't know how it's currently working. You know, it's like, it was wild. It was extremely, um, seeing it through someone else's eyes. I was like, wow, this is extremely intimidating. But 
you know, just I'm just emphasizing the point that if you at least map out, here's what I want to have happen. I want there to be a form. Oh, it's going to be on these pages on my site. It's going to be double opt-in or not. It's going to have capture or not. It's going to, you know, whatever the decisions are, it's going to say this. It's going to deliver this lead magnet. It's going to go to drip. This is the expectation. Then, you know, just like write it down, like an outline or a flow chart or something like that. Um, because if I did, I could imagine her just kind of like, well, I guess I'm supposed to put a form on my site and then what uh, would have been, you know, the technical stuff plus the, a lack of clarity would just make you give up. You'd just be like, forget it or hire Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but that's kind of the point though, is especially if you're going to hand it off, once you have that visualization and you know what you're going to do, you can have people do it for you. That's great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I, most of my clients deal with is like the technical stuff, right? Because they're, they're, they're business owners. A lot of them are non-technical and they're just, Hey, I can't figure this out. Like, I don't, I know what I want. I just don't know how to make it do what I want. So how do I make it do what I want? Right. And so, so that's where understanding that and, you know, just like, Rochelle, you were saying like, you know, oh, I was, I happened to be working on it and I saw your email. Well, that's just me knowing that the ConvertKit audience are 80% non-technical, if not higher, right? And so it's just saying, hey, look, I know these are the things that you struggle with. Um, Here's how you do it, right? And so just coming out from that perspective, that's kind of like what I was saying with the the Tell Me More campaigns is like, hey, I know you check this stuff out. let me see if I can help you, right? Like the jigsaw, right? And it's the same thing. Like, you know, it's a wonder, like my wife and I, we went and we went car shopping because our lease was up, which was in and of itself in a pandemic is very, very strange. Because <laughs> test driving is different and all that. But our lease was up and we went in and we kind of knew what we wanted. And yet people were still not coming up to us and not asking. And we still had to make appointments to come in because of the, all the social distancing and all that stuff. And yet like you and Home Depot, Jonathan, like we were like, is anybody here? Like, how do we move forward with this sale? Like, and, and they knew we were coming. You told us to show up here at one o'clock. We came at one o'clock and there's two other people in this place. Right. And so there's a whole team of people in the, in this bullpen in the back and you can see them and they're looking at us and like, okay, <laughs> hello. <laughs> what are we at the salesman zoo? That's so <laughs> right. weird. So it was, it was strange in and of, of itself that, but even just in the context of talking with them and we were saying, Hey, this is what we like. This is what we didn't like in the other car. Some sales people got it and some people didn't. They were like, Oh, this is not, this is, Oh, I understand why you didn't like that. And then five minutes later, they'd be like, hey, it can do this. We don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, didn't you just hear what we just said? And so these, just an email, when you know the path that somebody needs to be on in order to get their problem solved, it makes things a lot simpler. And then you can go ahead and build these things out. And you start with a Google Doc and build from there. I want to, we keep keep getting excited. (laughs) I want to just emphasize to people like because there, there's a flip side to the to the salesperson zoo scenario where they're just behind glass and like looking at you. Um, there's also the the pushy sales car salesman model. And so you want something in between. And if if you dear listener, if you're thinking about, geez, this tell me more campaign seems like a really good idea. Um, I typically, I don't want to be pushy. Uh, I'll just, you know, the kind of, the kind of like standoffish salesperson or clerk in a store, um, you can be too standoffish. So, you know, like that's the Home Depot example, but you can also be too pushy. So, you know, I would, I would advise folks to just find, think like, oh, you could almost think of like a local store. There's a store near us called stock and the, the, the woman who owns it is the perfect salesperson. I don't even know if I don't, I almost don't want to call her that. I mean, she owns the business and she is the perfect amount of letting you know that she's there to help you with anything you need, but she's not going to bug you. So it's invites the question. She'll even give you some language to help you ask the question if you want to ask the question, but she's not going to follow you around being like, do you want this? Do you want this? How about this? How come you didn't buy this yet? You know, so there it's a balance. And I think it's, I love the idea of using a, of 
in real life physical world shopkeeper um, metaphor to drive your mm, choices when you're creating one of these campaigns or like an automation because it can when it goes wrong it can go it can go horribly wrong you know everybody's had the like robotic like you know keeps like disney keeping on sending you the same thing over and mm-hmm. over so, you know you want it to be as you want it to be personal you want it to be um nurturing nurturing yeah that's, duh, right that's mm-hmm. the word I don't know if you noticed, I think, Jonathan, earlier, you referred to a welcome sequence as a nurture sequence. And I think that just ding, 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 ding for me. That's why mm-hmm. I love the name so much, Jason. Yeah. 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 And that, that and that's, I, I just look at it like, hey, I've been doing email, receiving email for, I don't know, 20 plus years. And so how do I want to get emails, right? Like if I'm interested in something and there's a timely email, that's awesome open up the door for me. Great. I'm going to come in. And that's how I look at it. And that's, you know, to your point, that's where nurture kit comes from that, you know, this idea of nurturing sequences. And I've done different variations of that model, um, based in around, like you're saying, timing of things, you don't want to obliterate somebody from a sales perspective, but you got to kind of learn what it is that your sales cycle is from perspective of the whole business and then you could kind of apply that to emails as well so i just want to hit on one more thing that you've been talking about in your emails that i love and that's pruning your list so for the people here who've got a list you've been working on it for a while there's going to be some deadwood in there so jason talk about your philosophy about you know when to prune your list and the how, because I think you have a couple different ways of looking at this than what I've seen elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from the, the point of view of like, what is the goal of the list, right? And so on one side of my business for a long time, I it was lead magnets. And so there was a lot of freebie folks on the list. And so um, when I changed or pivoted the, the direction of where that list was headed, well, I was like, okay, well, this is what I'm about. And this is what you're going to be- benefit from, but also I'm going to sell to you as well, right? And just pretty blunt about it. And that's a way of pruning your list too, right? Because now you're saying, oh, okay, I don't wanna be on this list anymore. I don't wanna be sold to or whatever, right? You're just being upfront and genuine about what it is, right? But the other side of the coin is, is how engaged are people, right? And so, all of these platforms have some sort of engagement level. Uh, how many, how long since somebody last opened or clicked on your email, they have a rating system. All of these platforms have these things. However, it's such a general thing. It doesn't take into account how often you send emails. If you send emails yeah. once a month. Yeah. Right. And this drives me crazy. Right. And so mm-hmm. if you send emails once a month and then you go to your cold subscriber list and they say like, you know, 85% of your list is cold subscribers. Well, they only had three emails over the past 90 days to actually open and click on it. So yeah, maybe the flip side, yeah. The flip side is, you know, I want to know everybody who hasn't opened an email in 30 emails, but that's only right. one month and Trip doesn't let you do that. It's like, it's, it's only by months or something. And I was, I'm like, well, that's not, that's not the, the, it's, uh, the platform is optimized for people to send weekly, I think. But Yeah, and I think that that's what it, most of them are, And except for the fact that you have to apply your business to that model. So when people are like, hey, I got you know 3,000 out of 10,000 people cold, they say, okay, well, how, many, how often do you send your emails? And then they're like, well, why does that matter? <laughs> like, well, the platform, it matters. And so there's always this manual thing that you have to do, but then you put them into a re-engagement campaign, right? Whatever that segment is that falls out that you defined as a cold segment, put them into a re-engagement campaign, give them some benefit to stay on or spark that click or re-engage them at some level um, and give them that opportunity to stay on or just tell them, hey, if you're reading this, I'm gonna remove you on Tuesday and you don't wanna be on here anymore, that's fine. I'm gonna remove you, you don't have to do anything, right? Give them the task to actually want to stay on your list versus, which drives me crazy, is like this this thing like, oh, they didn't re-engage, so now you, what happens? Now I gotta segment them off and filter them out of everything that I do. Like a lot of these platforms, they give you these cold, re-engagement campaigns 
and they just tag them as disengaged. And they're like, okay, that's helpful. So now I got to worry about another tag that I got to apply to everything that I'm doing. Mm. That just drives me mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just yeah. remove them. Right? Well, plus they you're don't. paying for them. Exactly right. And that's the other thing is you said that there's a couple of things that a cold email subscriber hurts you more than helps you is one, you're paying for it. Two, it hurts you from a technical perspective, the Googles, the Yahoo's of the world. The, the, yeah, deliverability. Yeah, exactly right. The servers are going to say, hey, these people aren't reading. It must not be important. Let's put them in the promotions tab or even worse. And so these sort of things you want to be mindful of, maybe prune, depending on how often you send out at least once a year. Just to kind of say, hey, look, there's a, there's a whole bunch of dead weight here. Um, I don't want to be noisy to somebody's inbox. I don't want my inbox being noisy. And the final point that I want to say is don't be afraid of the unsubscribes either. The unsubscribes are fine. Let them go. If what you have doesn't solve their problem right now, just means that it's just not good right now. I manage millions of email addresses for clients. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen people cycle in and out, right? They'll come in, they'll stay for a month or two, and then they'll unsubscribe. And then they'll come back later as a customer, right? I see that time and time again. And so the, the fear of the unsubscribe is a real thing. And we could probably have a whole nother show on that. But um, it's just don't chase the unsubscribes. Worry about the people that are engaged and nurture those people versus worrying about and and please please when somebody unsubscribes don't send them an email that they said that they're unsubscribed within the next 10 days because that uh, drives me mad yes i hate that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's nice to have a big list but it's not your goal you know and and i understand like you you might especially if you're paying for you know pay-per-click or something like that or you're paying someone to like get you know you've got expenses associated with the subscriber acquisition it feels like money's going down the drain when they unsubscribe but they're probably you know they're probably not going to buy and if they are they're going to come back so just don't worry about it i i i did i will say though um i've set up a filter in gmail that when i get an alert that somebody unsubscribes i don't see it because it, it, it's irritating <laughs> it's like you know was it something i said it messes with your head it messes with your head yeah, yeah. well i think that's what i liked about this idea about dealing with the disengage i, I had this this block about letting them go and i finally got over the block and i i let like 700 and almost 750 people and but i looked at a whole bunch of them because i wanted to teach myself like what's happening and the second i let them go and i did not do a re-engagement campaign actually jason partly because of something i read that you had written about you know why put your head in that space chances are they're not going to see it anyway so i sent them a one-time email and said hey you know if i'm if, if this is boring or you're just done i'm just going to take you off and it was great because some people re-engage and the people who didn't it's like okay our time is over and almost the second i deleted them it's like, you know, cleaning out your sock drawer. I felt lighter. It felt better. And of course, you know, and again, it's all psychological, but the engagement goes up. The open rates go up. All right. of those things go go up. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's I think it's it's it is partially a head game and you can't let it get to you. That's when I prune is when my open rate goes down. Like like if usually it's around 30, if it goes down to the low 20s, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And I'll, the last time I did it, and this is probably your recommendation, because I, I don't think I was bright enough to think of this, but it was really just like a blunt, I shouldn't say blunt, it was like a one sentence email that says, hey, you know, my, my email system uh, is telling me that you're not opening any of these emails. It could be wrong, but if, you know, but I don't want to bug you if you're, you, these are not useful to you. Uh, so click here or whatever I did, whatever the call to action was. It was like a one sentence email. According to Drip, you haven't been opening these emails, so you know here's an unsubscribe button. I can't remember exactly what I did, but it right. was it was opt in, like they had to opt back mm -hmm. in to mm. stay on the list. Right, and and, yes. and, the, and it's it's important to note that you want that click because there are platforms out there, there's software out there that don't record opens. Right, lots right. of them don't. And so a lot, you know, I have a lot of readers that just read the text only. 
So mm-hmm. that doesn't record as an open either, but right. I know that they read it because they reply. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's important to note that, you know, people are like, oh, well, I want to keep them if they opened it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I had I had one client that actually we put a, a pruning process in place and the final email was like, hey, on Tuesday, you're going to be removed. Um, they postponed that final email, <laughs> like <laughs> 9,000 days out from the last email. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, here's and here's the 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 silver lining is that probably fifty percent of the people that I had set to prune were like, no, 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 don't. I just have images turned off. Right. I'm actually opening them. So it was it turned into a good feeling, not a bad feeling. And then the ones who were just they're just dead emails. Like they're probably not even checked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like fine. I, I'm not going to pay to send email to a abandoned email address. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we, I, I just had to talk about that because <laughs> I just, I know lots of people wrestle with it. Yeah. We could do a whole show on the psychology of dealing with the disengaged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think like right now, let's just not deal with them. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is you just, you do one thing, you do one interaction or you decide to do a re-engagement campaign. I, I didn't want to do that. I just didn't want to put emotion and effort and headspace into that. I'm like, no, they'll, they'll either come back or you know, if you love them, set them free. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Okay. So we should probably wrap up. This has been extremely helpful for me, my psychology <laughs> around email. Hopefully the dear listeners gotten some, uh, as much benefit out of it as I have. Uh, where can people go to find out more if they do want to sign up for your email list or explore some of these other things that you do? Sure. Uh, you could go to nurturekit.co. Um, yes, that's .co.com. Um, and you can find out all about my Nurture Kit services and things of that nature. But my DMs are always open on Twitter. I'm at res with three Zs there, and I'm always open to a conversation. Great. Sign up for the email list, people. I'm telling you, you'll get these great tips that you've never thought of. Yeah, I don't know how I'm not on it. I'm going to go sign up. Yeah, you need to get on. (laughs) Great, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.